Let's pray. Father, as we do want to live for you, we do want to live lives that bear fruit for you, so teach us how to do that as we open up this epistle to the Romans once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about bearing fruit for God. Now, let's assume that almost none of us want to be bad, want to fill our hearts with shameful things, want to make the world actually a worse place than we found it. Let's assume that most of us, most of the time, don't wish that. Because a lot has to go wrong in a human being before we say, where's Satan? I want to join his team. Let's, let's tear everything down and burn it. Not many people get to that level easily. Most of us, perhaps most of the time, or much of the time at least, will say, I want to be a good person. I want to be kind and loving, strong and noble. But of course, this is easier said than done. As one of the struggles we face, if we want to be honourable, pure-hearted, full of integrity and holiness, is that, well, we aren't. We are flawed, we are weak, we are compromised, we are prone to pride and envy and greed, to lust, we're short-tempered and sharp-tongued, we're self-centred. We're tempted to be untruthful, unfaithful, unethical, and we don't always resist that temptation. And this is a source of shame to us, to be people with various disgraceful blots on their record and character. Paul regards this default human situation as what he calls slavery to sin. Romans 6, 20-21, our epistle, which we're going to examine today, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So sin is pictured here as a a despot, a master who owns slaves. And the orders that this master gives uh, encourage the slaves, direct the slaves, impel the slaves to walk a shameful path that leads in the end to ruin and to death. Now, the danger of answering the call of sin is well known, actually, to all cultures. The stories that we tell, the counsel we give our kids, the rules and the laws we make for our countries all warn and guard against our human weakness for sin. The thirst for power and control, the desire for wealth, the craving for pleasure, the ambition to be above the law, to do as we please, to be God's. Paul proclaims freedom from this slavery to sin through through Jesus Christ. Verse 22, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So something has changed for the Christian. In Christ Jesus, we have received a gift. And when we trust in Christ and we call on Christ for help and for salvation, we are joined to him. His death 
involves us. Uh, as we heard last week, Romans 6.6, 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is, with Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that is, our body ruled by sin. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And as Jesus lives now to God and with God and for God, so we do the same. So we're joined to him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, this is all familiar to you because we talked about it last week. These two caves that I talked about connected by an underwater tunnel. I don't know if you remember this illustration, the cave of life in this world, according to the reign of sin and death and the cave of life with God, according to the reign of righteousness and life. And Jesus taking us on this journey through the tunnel of death and resurrection to the new cave of life with God. But we might ask then, well, what more can we know and how can we live this new life with God? Can we, can we find out more? Because it would be good to know, how can we reap this harvest of holiness which is promised? How can we live out this gift of eternal life in Christ? How can we bear fruit for God? And so today I want to focus on where Paul goes next. He says, firstly, this new life in Christ is not... The life of the law. This is the first point he wants to make. And secondly, he says, we serve God, in fact, in the way of the Spirit, the new way of the Spirit. So that's what I basically want to talk about today, those two points which Paul makes. And so let's start with the first one. Life in Christ is not life in the law covenant between God and Israel. So Paul was a Jew and Christianity was a Jewish movement that spilled out, it overflowed the boundaries of Judaism to include Gentiles, non-Jews as well. And as Paul spoke all these things that we've been reading the book of Romans to his fellow Jews, they might say, you know, well, Paul, we belong to God, absolutely. Yes, and we serve God and we know how and on what terms we are to serve God and bear fruit for him because we belong to Israel and there is a covenant, there's a deal, there's a there's an arrangement between God and us Jews. And, and we are bound to God by this law, this covenant, uh, this divine teaching, this divine set of commandments. And the way to live for God is to live by his law. Uh, and this involves circumcision if you're a male. It involves observing the Sabbath. It involves food laws and temple sacrifices and festivals and all these different things. Now, to this way of thinking, this very traditional Jewish way of thinking, Paul has a radical response. Chapter 7, verse 1, he begins on it. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that is not you know, the law of the land, but the law of God, the Torah, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. This is, a, this is a general principle of all law. Um, death ends obligations. Uh, he uses the example of marriage, in which the death of a husband frees a wife to take another husband. 
But the radical teaching that he offers is that, in fact, Jewish believers who were, if you like, married to the law in a binding covenant are now married instead to Christ. Verse 4, so, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And so, Paul says, just as sharing in Jesus' death means that Christians die to the claims of sin, so also it means that Jewish believers in Christ die to the obligation to keep the law in order to belong to God. The new life in Christ that Jewish and Gentile believers all share together is a life apart from the obligation to obey the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was the former husband of the Jewish believer, but that marriage ended when they died with Christ. They were united to Christ in his death. And Christ is then their new husband and they, um, they relate to God now as those in Christ, not those under the law. They used to be obliged to live by the Old Testament law, but that obligation is over. Now, it is not wrong for Jewish Christians to observe the law, but they belong to God because they belong to Christ not because they belong to Israel and keep the Old Testament law. The terms of their relationship have been radically changed by their coming to know Christ. And so this is a point that Paul wants to make. It's a controversial point in his own day, but he was adamant about it. We might ask if the new life in Christ is not then a life under the law, a life bound to it obeying a set of commandments and keeping certain religious observances. Well, what is it then? So, two, the new life in Christ means that we serve God in the new way of the Spirit. Paul points out that life under the law was not actually a success for the Jews. Old Testament Israel did not bear fruit for God. On the contrary, verse 5 For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. If you read the Old Testament, it's a story of Israel being bound to God to keep his law, failing to do so and incurring God's wrath and displeasure and having over and over to be forgiven and rehabilitated. In the realm of the flesh... In cave one, the life of this world, if you like, the law actually has an unhappy effect. Good as the law is. Say to someone, this is what you must do to be good. And up springs the desire to do not that. You know, look after your brother, says your mum. And immediately you want to push him in the pool. When you lose your temper... Uh, to someone and say some cutting thing to a colleague and then you are somehow reminded that the law of God says love your neighbour as yourself, the thought rises up in your heart, blow my neighbour. You don't know my (laughs) neighbour. They're infuriating. We imagine instead them coming to a sticky and well-deserved end. The law then does not overcome the flesh 
that in us which does not love God but loves, in fact, sin instead, is stirred up against God's law. And the fact that this is the way we are in the flesh with this this nature that will rise up against the good law of God, that means there is no ideal, there is no ethical principle or set of disciplines or practices that will heal the human heart, that will equip us to bear fruit for God. The most intelligent and reflective moral philosopher cannot devise an ethic that will empower us to live new lives. The most unworldly and mystical religious guru cannot teach us a spiritual practice by which we can forge a new nature for ourselves. The most cutting-edge New York Times best-selling self-help author cannot write a book that will give us the keys to self-transformation. But, says the Apostle of Christ, By dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. And this means a living partnership with the Spirit of God dwelling within us. We don't serve God by the power of our own soul, by the power of our own spirit, but rather by the power of his spirit. How can then you and I bear fruit for God? Well, with the help, with the partnership, the guidance and the life of God's spirit. Because the life you live matters. And if you believe in Christ, you belong to Christ in order that you might bear fruit for God. That's what your life is to be about. Bearing fruit for God. And if you offer yourself to God, by the power of the Spirit, you will bear fruit for God. Fruit takes time to grow and to ripen. It's not a flashy trick. It's God's slow, sure power of holiness working its way into you, into what you do. Paul is going to develop life under law and life in the spirit further. And so can I encourage you to keep coming along for these next few weeks as he does this. But for now, we have these essentials of the Christian life. Firstly, it is a life that leads to holiness. It doesn't leave us helpless in sin. Secondly, it's a life that is lived in partnership with God's Holy Spirit. God's living presence and power in us and for us. And so, offer yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Make this your prayer at the beginning of each day. O Lord, take me and use me. Offer yourself to God in newness of spirit each day. Lord, help me to walk by your spirit, in your spirit's power, in your spirit's way. Offer yourselves to God looking for a harvest of holiness, of goodness and courage and wisdom and kindness and self-control and every good thing that is truly life. Because you belong to Christ. And since you belong to Christ, these things will be yours when the harvest comes.
Offer yourselves to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that Christ has done in setting us free from sin and free from the slavery to sin that impels us to do things that we are rightly ashamed of. Thank you, Lord, not only for your forgiveness, but for the gift of your spirit that we might offer ourselves to you as your servants, as instruments of righteousness, and that we might reap a reward, a harvest from that, a reward of holiness, of eternal life in Jesus. And so help us to walk, Lord, and to serve you, not in the old way of the written code, but in this new way you have given us, the way of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um.